This is What Now with Mr. Tony. Joining me is King James. He's on the Gulf side of Florida. He has two ships coming towards him with sick passengers, massive cruise ships. He and I have been discussing the cruise sector for a while, why they're still having cruises in this pandemic. This is a major humanitarian disaster that is happening right on the oceans. They have not been allowed to port yet in Florida. They have been denied other ports throughout South America, and they were delayed going through the Panama Canal. So, King James, how do you see this playing out? Well, I don't want them, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But there's an American spirit, and there's some engravings on the Statue of Liberty that say things about the tired and the poor. (laughs) And that applies to the sick as well. Some of them are American citizens, even if the ports were both embarking and disembarking in South American countries. The CEOs of those companies, I like to know what they're talking about, really. Like, what do they plan to do, you wonder, in this pandemic? And every ship that have, that's made the headlines since this has started, they've all been a disaster with sick passengers, even, right? What they plan to do is make more profit somehow. Is there a number two concern somewhere in there, saving face, so they can continue to make profits? Probably. But there's one major concern among all the cruise lines, and that's future profit. I think there's going to be a substantial pause in the sector uh, going forward once they get here. And uh, I, I think I read an article where the cruise sector has shut down due to the pandemic, which is about time think there's a long recovery process if they even recover, don't you think? The world as we know it is going to be different once we all emerge from our hibernation chambers. And the cruise lines are going to be different, as is everything else. Some of them will likely fail, which is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. This is a systemic change everywhere, reaching from the top to the bottom. And cruise lines are just one of the casualties of what's going on here. Because cruise lines were already petri dishes. To begin with, even under the best of times. In the good days. Yeah. So what does it look like for them going forward? I don't know. That depends on the gumption of the American people and the people worldwide to go back into a situation where they already could have gotten norovirus or other viruses. And now there's the threat of new possibly engineered viruses on the scene that can sweep the globe. We have the uh, power brokers and the cruise ship sector lobbyists that will go to Washington and beg for money. We have that element as well. I call them the ghost ships because they're just floating around. I mean, it's so scary and intense to me to to see this happening, not just with the cruise ships, but all over. I'm in the Bronx, and the Bronx used to be packed with people on the street, but now no one's around. My building is very quiet. The streets are uh, quiet. I mean, for a city like New York, it's very surreal. A little bit surreal here in Florida as well. Mm. And we have not gotten into more than just the waiting period here. We're cautious. We're all hunkering down, following directions for the most part. My street, I live at the end of a cul-de-sac on some canals by the Gulf. My street used to have constant traffic all the time of people hitting the end of the cul-de-sac and turning around, Mm -hmm. whether they're looking for property 
or they're just driving around a coastal neighborhood or what have you. I used to see 100 cars a day or more come and turn around at the end of my street. Even though we're almost off in the middle of nowhere, it's kind of a nice area to drive around. And no one these days is even pleasure driving. No one these days is cruising. I used to hear motorcycles come and drive around. It's Florida. We have a lot of bikers. Nobody is out cruising. Tremendous. It reminds me, uh, I'm going to interject some of my sick sense of humor. It reminds me of a film that I'm crazy about. It's called The Last Man on Earth. And it's with Vincent Price. (laughs) He plays a scientist who is trying to find a vaccine for a blood disease, which has wiped out most of the humanity on the planet. And he's all alone in his house trying to find a vaccine. And what the disease of the blood turns you into in the film is uh, zombie, cannibalistic zombies. Wild. You ha- it's a great film. Oh, we love cannibals. <laughs> well, you know, because when I walk in the street, Vincent Price would go out to find wood to burn or supplies or whatever. The streets were empty, cars are rusting, and the whole thing. And so when I go to the store and I'm walking around, I can't help but think of that film. (laughs) I think everybody right now feels like they're walking around in a film. Mm -hmm. We've seen the apocalyptic films. We've seen the Walking Dead zombie-type films. This feels like a movie. This is unprecedented. I don't know what to think. Nobody knows what to think. You asked me what people in Florida think, I don't know, and I don't think they know. Some think it's a conspiracy. Some are terrified. Some think it's nothing. But for the most part, we just don't know. Well, we know it's not nothing because people are dying and there is a virus that is killing people. It's real. It's just that the magnitude, I guess we are beginning to process the magnitude of our situation because uh, we can't go to work. That's real businesses has shut down. Unemployment has spiked. What's that number? The number was 3.28 million unemployment job claims reported last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's slightly lagging, of course. California and New York have both reported large numbers. I believe California was 1.4 million unemployment claims this week, which should show up in the numbers, the nationwide numbers this Thursday. New York reported 1.2 million calls to their unemployment line for people trying to apply. There's no telling how many have applied. That's correct. The number of 3.28 million nationwide last week seems like it might be matched just by California and New York this week. And, of course, that number is initial unemployment claims, which does not include the claims from last week or the week before. This is not ongoing claims. This is initial. And last week was a record by about six times the highest number ever at 3.28 million. And this week that will be reported on Thursday has indications that it may well surpass that. And that's getting into some scary and incredibly uncharted territory. What we have to process as a nation, as individuals, is that the kind of numbers and the kind of disruption we're talking about, that we've never been through that kind of chaos, have we? Maybe the Great Depression? We are hearing echoes of the Great Depression echoing through our empty street right now. Yeah. Certainly, we can estimate that small businesses 
will not recover. Its transformation is just going to be dramatic. You could use every superlative that you know to describe what we're currently facing. And the epic task of re-engaging and restarting our economy, I don't have words for. Yeah. And yet here I am taking this opportunity to recreate or reinvent myself. I'm not belittling the situation, but I don't need to sit home and wallow in pity. I need to take this opportunity and do something creative. We want to leave the COVID conversation for a bit, and I want to jump into the field hospital that the Samaritan's Purse has set up. That organization is an organization run by the son of Billy Graham, Franklin Graham. From the articles, and actually their mission statement is that their organization believes that, well, basically men and women should only be married and same-sex marriages are abominable. And that if you want to volunteer for us, you have to believe and you have to sign. There are New Yorkers that want to help with that effort in Central Park and have to face that kind of mission statement. This proves to me that uh, we're at a point where we need all the help we can get and that okay, we'll tolerate the Samaritan purse and their fantasy about men and women should only be married because we do need that field hospital and they have the resources to give it. New Yorkers, <laughs> we've been in the bed with the devil many times. And so, okay, we can do that and get the help we need. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to get any traction in New York. He's not going to set up some kind of center here with that kind of manifesto. We need his help, yes, but... Um, I don't think he's going to be kicked out because we're, we're desperate for that kind of help at this time. I think being kicked out is totally out of the question and not part of the conversation. Right. I grew up evangelical Christian for the most part. I've been to mega churches and I've been to some poor rural churches. In one of the poor rural churches, we donated to some worldwide missions to feed a young girl in a foreign country and to collect money for various causes. And one of those was also Samaritan's Purse. I don't know anything about it, but I know that I've helped raise money for it in the past. And I don't think that their beliefs have anything to do with the aid that they are giving. Uh, I mean, try to grasp that. Uh, you're saying that they're superseding their, their own mission statement by helping out of the goodness of their heart because the help is needed. Whether the gay population here is prominent. They're overlooking that. Well, what are they there to do? Well, according to the article, their volunteers who want to work for them have to sign that statement saying that they believe men and women should only be married. Well, that's a little nasty. Yeah. I would hope that anybody that is even abhorrently opposed to the, the premise and the idea of that in, in a time such as this would be the bigger person that this organization, Samaritan's Purse, should be right now and foregoing anything religious or political or otherwise that could get in the way of help. Because obviously that's why they're there. They are not going to save anybody. Nobody is coming to Jesus. <laughs> In a Central Park field hospital, let's get real and help with the mission and put that bullshit aside. I really hope that anybody that would blink at signing that would go right ahead and sign it. Because as we've seen, the largest cohort right now 
that is opposing the stay-at-home orders, suggestions, social distancing. It's a patchwork throughout the nation. But the people that are directly opposing it right now are the Christians, including one nearby, me here in Florida, that got arrested for having two services on Sunday and multiple recently. Right now, there are some Christians who are working very effectively, whether they believe so or not, to give Christians a bad name. And this organization joined some churches who have been hosting services. Is it far-fetched to say that now they present a national security threat if they're congregating these mega churches? Isn't that obscene? It is close to it. This is not the Black Plague, but this has the potential to overload the healthcare system by a wide margin. And we are all trying to observe our behaviors and our interactions with other people that could have an effect on that. And for the most part, the entire nation is observing social distancing. Six feet or more, few people that you come in contact with. You can't quarantine with somebody different every day. It's the people that you live with. Everybody is on board with this, except for some obvious groups. What's going to be the tipping point, you think, that will get the uh, authorities to activate and telling these people, we cannot congregate anymore. It's not going to work. It's affecting the nation. Who steps in? Well, down here near Tampa, the sheriff stepped in. The Hillsborough County Sheriff was in communication with the leader of the church. We had the incident where a pastor went ahead with two services on Sunday, and he was arrested on Monday. Okay. So the sheriff did step in because in that county in Florida, there's a limit of 10 people that can be together. I'm going to say something. Should we shut churches? Don't we get into that point? We have to shut the churches. I think we can, and I think we can do it without much objection. Now, I'm sympathetic because I was raised that way. Mm -hmm. But I have to think back, even though churches may not have closed in the past during plagues and epidemics in the United States, churches also were places where people needed to go to for food and other things. Sanctuary, yeah. Churches were not just a service with music and somebody talking. Churches provided much more function. Some churches still provide much more function today, but they are in the vast minority. For the most part, people gather for music and to listen to somebody talk. Also to see each other for fellowship, and it's a good thing in that aspect, by anybody's definition. We're under unusual circumstances, and congregating is detrimental to fighting the COVID-19. Therefore, I think we need to shut churches and stop fussing around the, the topic. It's presenting a national security threat at this time. It's too much already. Shut the churches and fuck them. Who cares? I, I agree we need to enforce churches being shut down. I agree. It's a sensitive topic in a lot of ways. Right. This is a sensitive topic that we're under, and it's presenting, as you well know, King James, it's new challenges that we've never even... What I'm saying is that we've been upended, all of us, to face and to try to coexist with this crisis. So therefore, churches, people that are, you know, this sort of like tantamount to Madison Square Garden staying open now. Can you imagine? It's very similar to if Madison Square Garden was staying open. We do have a deep respect for religion historically in this country, and the government should not be telling churches to shut down. But at this point, if we look back on not the exact word of the law, but the spirit of the law and the consequence of the law, similar to 
let me go ahead and say his name, Andrew Yang. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We care about the effect of the law and what is going to come about from it. And the people that wrote our founding document had the ability to have virtual church in a multitude of ways. They would not have agreed to actually locking the doors of churches that provide nothing other than live music and a live person talking and a sense of community for the people that come in. There's going to be some interesting development because congregating in large groups clearly is not what we should be doing. We'll see how that pans out for the rest of the religious organizations. So let's jump right into a guy who could be a activist in the making. Uh, his name is Christian Smalls, and he was a worker. He was just fired from Amazon. He staged a uh, walkout, and for that, he was fired. Uh, he claims that corporate is not um, adhering to their concerns about safety and being exposed to COVID-19. He, according to the article, was exposed and was told to go home and self-isolate with pay, but he chose to come in and stage the uh, walkout. So therefore he was fired. It's kind of, it's a activist move he made. He had concerns and he was frustrated with them not being addressed. There's a lot of people who are working that have to still go to work that are concerned about being exposed. And also the healthcare workers, the nurses and the doctors, and even nurses assistants, the cafeteria workers, all those guys, those people have to go to work as well. And they're being exposed. But uh, this gentleman decided to stage a walkout. So we'll see what happens with that. What do you think about that? I mean, we had to read a few more articles and see the attorney general is saying that that kind of repercussion is not legal on a part of Amazon and that there are laws for that. And so they're looking at that area. I mean, should he have gone up against Goliath? That is huge. Huge. Yeah. I applaud this man, Christian. Hopefully he's got a great future in front of him as an activist or wherever he goes from here yeah. because Amazon has clearly severed ties with him. Who knows when their directive to him came in? The timing is highly suspect here. Did they tell him the night before his staged walkout? that because there had been somebody that he was exposed to, that he should stay home for 14 days, and instead he came in to stage the walkout because he wanted to go ahead and do that, we're moving into some more iffy territory here. And also Amazon has an army of lawyers and spin doctors that can spin it whichever way. But I think he's an organic, uh, pure, raw individual without these resources. And he is doing something very brave. Go. I'm going to say something. I mean, if he was exposed, he came back to stage the walkout. He was that compelled to do it. Clearly, he got the attention of a few folks, wouldn't you say? I would say he's definitely got the attention of a, more than a few folks. He is in the national spotlight right now, not so much as an individual by name, even though we know him as Christian Smalls, but as a representative of what is going on right now. And like I said, the timing is suspect. I think they probably gave him the directive to stay home shortly before his shift would have started to come in for the staged walkout that they knew about. But to touch on one more point, you mentioned Amazon's army of lawyers. Yeah. I believe they have more than an army of just lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Do they have a physical army? Yes. Well, Amazon, it's another planet on a planet. 
And in fact, I'm going to jump around a little bit. They're going into defense. I don't know how many people know this, but Microsoft and Amazon are actually going to oversee the Pentagon's uh, defense software and operations. Jeff said that, of course, I'm going into defense. Why wouldn't I go into defense? It's, it's like a natural progression. That's what he said. Jeff Bezos. Insane. Insane. How massive is that? Like, I don't know if people can even grasp the scope of that. It's, even I'm grappling with the gall of it. And in fact, the contract, because I've been keeping up with this, because I could not believe what I was reading. The contract, which was granted to Microsoft outright, was challenged by Amazon. And Amazon is saying that Microsoft was favored and we weren't vetted enough. And so the judge sided with Amazon. And now the contract may be divided because the Pentagon does not want a protracted fight. It, it, you know how long that would take? How complex? So they're willing to split the contract up for both uh Titans, but it, incredible, right? Yeah, into, into defense. Can you imagine? For both Titans. You said that exactly right. I keep, I like keeping it with this kind of stuff. It's almost like science fiction because nobody will believe it. You know, it, it, it just put out there and Jeff is like, who's going to read this? <laughs> you know, what working class person, you know, they're not, they don't have time to read. <laughs> so who cares? Who cares? I'm going to do it. No, we are not interested in we are not interested in the small news like that, even though it's huge. No, that's it's not small news. It's huge. The company that has taken over retail in America now also wants to be a government contractor and have a hand in the Defense Department. This is getting sick. And Microsoft was granted the contract. It's going in that direction. It's not some fantasy. It's going in that direction. It just, now they have to decide how to split up that massive contract, which is in the multi-billions of dollars, as you well can imagine. And back to the to Christian Smalls. <laughs> back to Christian Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> going up against Goliath, Amazon. It really hit me because he was compelled. This young man was fed up. It, it, it takes this kind of situation to brave uh, those kind of odds. And I think he is tremendous to me. Labor in this country has been destroyed. The labor movement, uh, you know, the workers' rights, uh, the unions, uh, they're skeletons. And so that kind of action is historic, what he did. He's to be applauded. I couldn't believe it. I, I'm going to watch him very closely because we'll see how it develops with this gentleman, with this young man, sort of like civil rights movement or, you know, other issues in history where downtrodden just said, I cannot take this anymore. This is it. I'm okay. I'd rather die right now. Just kill me. Well, Patrick Henry, give me life or give me death. We need young leaders to step up and to step out like he did. I hope he's got some great heavy hitters lining up to support him. I hope he gets the right people on his team because it's just a remarkable move at this time. You know, it's like Rosa Parks, who um, living under basically apartheid in Alabama, when she sat on the bus, I saw an interview with her on PBS and the reporter asked her, you knew that the situation that you were in basically was apartheid and it was against the law for you to sit in front of the bus or whatever. And she said, I did not care. I was done. I was tired, tired of being tired. You could have killed me. I don't care. I'm, I'm taking this seat. Done. Done. Not that she was, okay, I'm tired, I'm going off from work, but it was the accumulation 
of the, of inhumanity. King James, this was a great segment. Thank you. Uh, I want to uh, keep going with this. Uh, did you have any last uh, closing statements? Well, I just have to say again, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> we better be doing more of this. Well, we will. This is just the second segment, and I'm really revving up. Yeah, let's have fun and talk about serious stuff and fun stuff. And, you know, life is tragic, bloody. And I actually said it's a bloody mess. It starts out as a bloody mess and it ends, you know, in some cases as a bloody mess. But let's have fun with it. Excellent. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you, buddy. Talk soon. <laughs>